Hey everybody, it's great to have you back. This is Jared here, your favorite DM, and we're ready to start Season 2 here at The Usual Time D&D. We hope you all had as much fun as we did playing through the Minds of Phandelver starter pack. We've really learned a lot, and we hope to continue improving the show as things go along. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently for Season 2. I'm starting to write some of my own content, and to kick things off, we're going to have a solo session from each of your favorite players. Shadow, Hoyt, and Luna are each going to have their own solo session to kick off Season 2, and after each session they're going to give you a little bit of insight on their character and how they're playing it, as well as any other juicy details they feel like sharing. And we'll just dive right on in. So the last thing you remember, uh, you were falling into the abyss. As you fell, uh, darkness faded and your eyes were filled with this icy blue glow. Before losing consciousness, you're fully embraced by this brilliant light, then all of a sudden nothingness. Uh, your mind fades into oblivion as the years fly by unbeknownst to you and your companions. You are lost to both time and to yourself. Suddenly, out of the nothingness, you feel as though you're grasped by a cold, giant hand, and you're yanked out of the nothingness back into existence. Not the existence that you know and remember, but a dark, gray world with towering mountains and large, frozen plains. You stand on a precipice looking down on a large valley below. Cold mountains line the side of the valley where you can see uh, what appears to be small villages dotting the landscape below and a river uh, winding through the valley cutting from north to, to south as far as the eye can see. In the middle of this valley stands a lone tower that's been vaulted up from the ground uh, far above everything else that you can see. As you're getting your bearings, you see a ghostly form appear, uh, garbed in a dark purple robe, floating about five feet out in front of you, off of the edge of this precipice. The figure reaches out and points a clawed finger at you and says, You who claims ownership over Black Razor and draw your power from it, you have displeased me. Thrice you have displayed a lack of regard for the natural progression of life and death, and thus thrice you have transgressed against me. If the power of my shadow fell you desire, you must first prove your worth to me or you will be granted its power nevermore. The figure turns and on her cloak you see a jet black raven with blood red eyes elegantly stitched from shoulder to shoulder across her back. She looks back at you one last time and says, find me atop my tower, passing the challenges that lie between armed with nothing but what you have with you. And the blade will again be yours to claim. See my domain and understand its purpose, and you shall be granted my blessing. Fail, and, well, you don't want to fail. As her words trail off, her form fades, and she is gone. Uh, looking oh. around you, you see only a single path behind you that snakes its way down the side of the peak you're currently perched on. A quick search of your person reveals you have no weapons, but you do have your armor and cloak. A test of your magic reveals that your ability to use mage arts has left you. None of your spells will respond when you weave the appropriate hand signs and recite the necessary incantations. However, your self-searching does reveal that you still have one trick up your sleeve. Carlos appears out of thin air when you attempt to summon him, and it appears that he's the only tool in your kit at this time. Taking one more look over the edge of the cliff, you stare down at the valley below. You can see where the trail behind you meets the valley. Within a few miles beyond that, you see the faint glow of what appears to be a village. What do you do? I... 
I don't like being toyed with like this. So I'm going to like kind of I just kind of shake in anger at first cuz I I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but I have some idea and I don't like being toyed with. But uh I'm going to follow down this path towards this tower. Okay. So if you continue following the path, um eventually you'll see off in the distance that it reaches one of these villages. The village is kind of straight east from where you meet the valley. The tower is kind of off to the southeast a ways, um, much further uh, than this village would be. Okay. Um, I actually look at my... So it sounds like most stuff is like shades of gray and dark. Yeah. Uh, I don't look um, at myself. Do I... Am I colorful or am yeah I... so uh the the landscape is dark and dreary um and you appear as your normal self okay and so does carlos um okay. it's mostly just the environment around you that that kind of um looks out off. of game looks what kind of like the uh What's that in in Stranger Things? Oh yeah, the upside down. Upside down, yeah. That that kind of aesthetic, roughly, but more icy and gray and just kind of snowy looking. Okay. And when I get to this town, do I see any people? Yeah. So you can make your way down this trail a little further to where you saw the the. Um, village ahead so once you you reach the outskirts of the village um, you'll see as you get closer that this village sits on the edge of this uh, river that you had seen from the mountains um, upon entering the village uh, you'll see that the houses kind of look like dark versions of what you might see in a, a typical Faerun village um, gray wood holds up houses with black straw for a cover dark windows and the walls leave an uneasy feeling in your stomach. As you venture through the town, you'll see that the the town center is a bit more brightly lit and there are uh, various spirits that roam about. As you continue through the town, few of them pay you any mind. A few may give you sideways glances, but none of them come up to you or, or say anything. Alright, um... So we got some weird ass spirits roaming about. I don't necessarily want to interrupt them because I still am not quite sure what's going on or where I am, per se. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try and pass through the town without getting, I guess, unless something catches my eye, I don't want to get involved with any of the town's goers. Sure. So you, you continue wandering through this town, kind of just taking the main road. Um, eventually, uh, you will make it to the riverbank. And um, whereas the town was mostly deserted, you'll see that the river very much is not. And also, upon closer inspection, you'll see that the water of the river uh, doesn't appear to actually be water at all. But it appears almost to be like the, the specters that you see floating around in the town, um, but in the shapes of, of races that you recognize in both male and female, some young, uh, some children basically, and some very old, uh, just a, a whole 
smorgasbord of different races, ages, um, etc. streaming down this riverbed. Across the river, uh, you'll see that there are several low, flat bridges. And on top of the bridges, there are uh, corporeal beings. Um, and the beings on top of the bridges are holding what appear to be spears. And they're constantly fishing in the river and pulling out souls, which they, uh, they take and place in these jars that they have aligned along each of the bridges. You'll see that they'll open a lid and the jar kind of sucks the soul in. <clears throat> Upon closer inspection, these, these beings appear to be similar to tiefling in appearance, but not quite uh, tiefling. <laughs> ah, I took a hint. Um, so the, what I'm, I'm seeing, basically the river sticks more or less, um, and what, these bridges, these just go across the river? Right, they, they cut right across the river, and there's uh, at least uh, 10 that you can see um, from where you're at. If you keep looking around, you'll see that on the other side, there appears to be one uh, ornately dressed being that's carrying a large spear. Um, and he is kind of pacing back and forth wearing deep purple armor with the, the Raven Queen's crest emblazoned on it. Oh. Oh, so I do I know that name, the Raven Queen? Uh, you probably wouldn't, but you would recognize it as the same crest that the being that spoke to you earlier had on the back of her cloak. Alright, I guess I'm going to start moving my way towards that... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna, I'm actually not even gonna, like, sneak around, I'm gonna go running up to those people. Sure. Those um, not people. You, uh, you can, and, uh, the ones on the bridges don't really pay you any mind, they're pretty fixated on what they're doing. If you make your way all the way across the, to the other side and, uh, attempt to speak to the one that's, uh, wearing the armor, uh, he will speak to you. Yeah. I'm going to run up to him and greet him. Uh, okay. What do you say? Um, so this also looks like a, um, basically a demon, or a devil. Yeah, um, <laughs> you, uh, if you know anything about devils, would recognize it to be a devil, um, Otherwise, your closest pain of reference would probably be tiefling. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna just. I'm actually just gonna be like, you there, you there with the with that symbol. What? He'll, I have some questions for you. <laughs> uh, he'll turn and face you and uh, say, "Hail and well met." It's very <laughs> rare for us to have a visitor from the mortal realms. I. Uh... I, I can imagine. Um, I obviously am not uh, familiar with these lands. Uh, where are we? You, my friend, are in the Raven Queen's domain. We call this valley specifically Lutherna, uh, but the greater area is referred to as Shadowfell by your kind. And that will 
I guess, ring probably ring some sort of bell. I probably would have heard that in something. I'm sure that you, uh, as a warlock, would be familiar with Shadowfell. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get probably a chill down my spine um, and say I, I was not aware as I was somehow brought here. Uh, the Raven Queen, you say, is that have something to do with the symbol on your wares? He would look and say, yes, that uh, that is my queen's crest. I saw a figure in a garb similar to what you're wearing, and uh, did it sound like a female's voice the first time? Yeah, it, you would have recognized it as a, a woman. Okay, and she spoke to me and said that I needed to go to that tower, and I'll point over to it. And I'm going to ask this person, uh, what exactly is that? Well, uh, before uh, he answers, he would say, um, please call me Vorkesis. Um, I am the Raven Queen's uh, second in command. He would say that uh, there's few uh, that are permitted entry to the tower. Um, there is but one entrance, uh, and it is a teleportation circle that is located under where the tower sits in the sky. And looking at the tower, and you would have noticed this on your way over here, it's not just vaulted up from the ground, but the base of it appears to have been ripped directly from the ground. And oh. it's kind of floating several hundred feet up in the air. He'll continue and say uh, that the only entrance uh, is the teleportation circle located under the tower where it sits in the sky. Uh, at the bottom of the giant pit that was formed when the tower was wrenched from the ground, uh, the circle sits. And uh, it will grant access to the tower, but only if one has been given the appropriate glyph required to activate the circle. He'll say, and forgive me if I already said this, I'm going from my notes, he'll say it is infrequent that the Raven Queen would bring a mortal to her domain, but I, I believe she may have done so with purpose. Uh, agents of Orcus have been spotted prowling far to the south where the river meets the ocean of fate and souls are sent to their final resting place. He says, I believe they are attempting to search the river for any souls that slip past my watch that they deem valuable enough to take back to their master. Continuing, he would say, if the Raven Queen brought you here, uh, it could only mean that she meant to both test your power and perhaps give you further understanding of what it is we do. If you seek access to the tower, I would send you on a quest to thwart the efforts of the agents of Orcus. Alright, what, what must I do? Stop them from farming these souls? So he would uh, look back at the river he's overseeing and, and point to his workers and say, uh, as you can see, we're quite busy here. We, we scour the river for any souls that we deem too powerful or too evil to travel on their own through the, uh, the length of the river. Um, these souls are taken directly to my master and she does with them what she sees fit. He would continue and say that, uh, I don't know how much you know of Orcus, but he is my queen's main enemy. He, he is the 
god, for lack of a better term, of the undead, um, or maybe ruler would would be a better term. But uh, as you can probably surmise, based on my queen standing as the goddess of death, she doesn't take kindly to her souls being taken from her. If agents of Orcus have made it here, it's very likely that they are using uh, a planar rift to basically rip a hole through the planes into our domain. Doing so would require a attunement crystal to have the the portal remain open. What I would seek of you would be to close this portal and prevent any further agents from coming through or any information from our realm leaking back to Orcus domain. Sounds like just another day at work. I would joke. <laughs> and um... I'll laugh at this and say uh, to successfully close the portal one must destroy the crystal. Um, whether or not you also destroy the agents that have made it through the portal uh, is of little consequence to me. If they are stuck here, they will remain here. Alright. Do you have any weapons that I can use? He'll um, promptly stand his spear up on end and and pound the hilt of it into the ground and say, I carry not but my trusty spear. Uh, He'll look around at his men and say, We don't generally carry weapons here so there are few around uh however he'll point to the the hooks that his men are using to fish souls out of the river and say you could potentially use one of those uh should you see fit okay um and so the idea is that uh if i were to destroy this crystal the portal will close uh, since you have seemed much more familiar with this magic, uh, would simply taking the crystal, is that possible instead of physically destroying it? Uh, he would say as, as long as the crystal remains intact, uh, the portal will remain open. Well then, I'll see it done. And Excellent. I- um, so he'll beckon one of his workers and, um, have a brief conversation with them and they'll relinquish their spear to you. Uh, So this will have all of the attributes of a normal spear. Okay. So which I think is D6 piercing? Yep. Uh, Spear is 1D6 piercing thrown. uh, Range is 2060 and it is versatile so if you two-hand it, it's 1D8. Okay. Alright. Um... With that, I will head off in the direction, um... Yeah, so, um, he'll basically say, uh, he'll go over with you, um, where the, uh, the portal and the agents of, of this Orcus character were last spotted. Basically, it's a, a two days ride, uh, to the south following the passage or the uh, trail that he will set you out upon um, he'll say that uh, they can offer you one of their shadow steeds to speed your journey um, and 
at the snap of his fingers, there is a horse that appears all of a sudden that is all black with red eyes and kind of appears a little ghostly. I can get used to this. So he'll tell you basically two days ride south um, from where you currently are. And uh, days he uses lightly because it doesn't actually go from night to day here. It's just kind of always gray. off in that direction on my shadow steed. Does it have a name? Uh, you can give it one. Nah. <laughs> um, so, the ride through this landscape is pretty bleak, as you probably can imagine. Pretty much everything is covered in um, permafrost and is just this gray, gross color. Um, occasionally, you'll come up across patches of snow or ice covering the landscape. Every once in a while, there'll be a small grouping of trees. Uh, not quite enough to call it a forest, but uh, but trees nonetheless. Riding, riding south, you'll occasionally see um, statues of the Raven Queen on the sides of your trail. Um, and sometimes you'll occasionally pass spirits like you had seen in the town and the random devil here or there. A uh, few of them pay you any minds. Uh, at most you get maybe a, a praise the Raven Queen out of them or a hail traveler. Um, but not much more than that. Sure. After riding your what you figure to be two days, off in the distance um, you'll see where the river ends and it's kind of this surreal scene like nothing you've ever seen before. Um, so imagine the the landscape kind of just ends and you see what looks to be an ocean. And then off beyond that, as far as you can see, there's these bright tendrils streaking off into the sky, just seemingly going out into space. It's kind of like... Um, to use someone else's IP, what Asgard looks like, where the water ends. Sure. But you're seeing like these tendrils of, of souls going off into the, the great beyond um, to their final resting place. So you take in that site, and as you're looking around, um, you'll see what appears to be smoke off in the distance uh, a little ways up ahead. As you crest uh, a hill on your path, um, you'll see where the the smoke seems to be rising from. It's coming from uh, a slightly scattered woodlands um, off to the left of your path. So what do you do? So I, what was that off to the left again? The, the path, basically? Yep. So, so the, the path continues off to the south, off to the left in the distance um, ahead of you you see where this uh, smoke appears to be coming from. And it, it's kind of a, a wooded area. Again, it's not quite thick enough to be called a forest, but there's a grouping of trees here. Okay. Um, well, I guess, does it seem like the smoke's coming from the tree area? Uh, yeah, it's kind of from the middle of it. You can't quite make out exactly where it's coming from. Like, you can't see the... Uh, origin of it, but that's it's coming from the trees. Well, I guess since it sounds like I'm more or less out in the open, I think I would want to 
ride the horse to the edge of this wooded area to try and, like, tie it down somewhere uh, where I don't think it, the people, like, this wouldn't be, it would be out of sight from the smoke. Right. Yep. You can, you can find a place that you're relatively um, certain isn't going to get discovered. Okay, I'll do that, and then I'm going full-on sneak mode with my spear hook, <laughs> and I'm going to start my way towards the smoke. Okay, yeah, you can do that. Eventually, off in the distance between the trees, you're going to see uh, that there's a simple camp that has been made. The camp consists solely of a tent and a fire pit, and if you get a little closer, you'll see... Uh, two figures. One you might recognize as a ghoul, uh, the other you probably don't. And you're not quite close enough to, to make out any further details than that at this point. Okay, so are they in like a clearing then? Uh, no, they're just kind of made camp between the trees. Alright, um, I so it's a single tent in a fire in two beings is what I see right Correct. Okay, I'm going to try and circle around them and see if I can discover anything else. Sure. Um, um, so you're coming at the camp from the north, so we'll say you go uh, east and make a circle um, going east and then south back to the west up north. Um, as you are circling around the edges of this camp, off a ways to the east, um, you run into none other than the portal that was described to you. Basically, it just looks like a tear in reality. Um, if you get closer to it, you, uh, you see that as you're looking straight on at it, you're able to see through it. And if you get even closer, um, you you see nothing but flame on the other side. Um, and anything beyond that is, is difficult to make out. Alright, so I definitely don't want to go in there. Um, and so I see this portal. Do I see this crystal? That you, you do not see the crystal. Alright. And how far away is this portal from the camp? About 100 yards off through the woods. Okay. So I guess at this point, then what I like to do is sneak back over to the camp and uh, get another good look. And I like to describe, or get a look and see what these creatures have on them. Sure. Like maybe um, what they look like. So as you get closer, you can make out that uh, one of them is unarmed. Um, it's this creature with long fangs and claws um, and a pale blue skin with tattered clothing here and there about its body. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with them in your past. I don't remember if we came across any ghouls so far, but... We'll say you got a good enough insight check to realize that this one is a ghoul. Um, the other one uh, is less familiar looking to you. It uh, It's in this black and red armor. Um, and if you're able to get a good enough look at its face, you'll see that it has gaunt uh, white skin 
and it, it appears to be pulled back against the bone of its face so tightly that its mouth has been pulled into this grisly smile. You'll see that the shoulders and uh, knees of this thing's armor are ador- adorned with um, skulls. Ugh. Sounds terrifying. Does he, and does this thing carry a weapon? Yes, you see that this is equipped with a longsword. Okay. And how far away is the tent from the creatures? About 10 feet. They're both sitting pretty near the fire at this point, um, and the, the tent is close by. Uh, is their back to the tent? The ghoul's back is, but the other thing's back is not. So from what I know about uh, ghouls, are they... Am I afraid of them? <laughs> uh, why don't you roll an insight check and we'll see what you know about ghouls. Great. That would be a 16. All right. Um, so you know that uh, ghouls trace their origins to the abyss, basically the, the realm of Orcus. Um, you would know that they are not very cunning um, and that they're mostly beast-like uh, in in action. Uh, okay, and so forgetting that I cannot cast spells, I'm going to attempt to cast uh, invisibility on myself. <laughs> you uh, you weave the hand signs required for the spell and, and whisper the incantation and nothing happens. And I'm reminded again that I'm furious. <laughs> um... Alright, I'm going to... Can I telepath Carlos, or is that ability lost? Uh, yep, Carlos functions the exact same way he always does. Okay. Um, so I'm going to hide behind a tree that that's fairly near um, this campsite. And okay. what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get Carlos to sneak into the tent. Now, okay. what my idea is, is that I, I, I don't know anything about class. So classic tents, like medieval tents, did they have, like today we have gar- stuff on the ground, but back in the day it was just like held up and bolted or staked. Yeah, up. so this is what I'm envisioning for this tent. It's essentially two sticks um, kind of forming a uh, X on either side and then a stick between those going through the middle and a canvas laid over top. Okay, so I'm going to try and have him go to sneak over on foot and try and like lift up part of the tent and try and get into it. Okay, um, can you give me a stealth check for Carlos? I like the plus four stealth. Not natural 20. All right, let's see. Good there. Uh, So your sneak is successful. So Carlos kind of scuttles his way from behind the tree with you, um, from Little Rock to Little Rock to Dead Bush, making his way up to the edge of this tent. You see him kind of stop at the outside of the tent and listen intently. Um, And then he kind of like 
sticks his head in through one of the flaps, and you see his back legs scratching, and he pushes his way in. Like Mushu. Yep, um, exactly like Mushu. <laughs> All right. And uh, I guess I'll take control of him and see through his eyes. Okay. Um, so inside you see a few things in here. There is a makeshift um, sack that's been laid out on the ground uh, to lay on, and there is a uh, canvas bag um, that is beside the, the bed sack. Okay. Um, Say so there's a bag? Yes. All right. I'll have him try and stealthily get into this bag and see if there's anything in it. Sure. Uh, so he can kind of flap his way up to the top of this thing and pull on it, and he's able to get it open enough that he can see inside. Um, inside, uh, he will find... A couple vials of things, um, and a dagger, and a crystal that is glowing bright white. So, uh, my guess is this, yeah, never mind. I was going to say, like, can can he take the sack to me? <laughs> but, uh, that wouldn't go under the tent so easily, I imagine. Yeah, no, he, uh, he could not lift the entire thing, no. <laughs> So, okay, uh, I got an, I guess I got an idea. I'm actually going, my thought process here is I'm going to try and, since Carlos has 60 flight speed, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to try and have him sneak out of the tent and then get into a direction that's not, like, the opposite direction of where we came. Uh and I'm going to try and have him cause a distraction and tell him basically to run, to fly in the, a direction away, try and get them to get away from the fire. Or, yeah. Okay. So he exits the tent, um, and you just want him to, to kind of fly a little ways off the ground right through the camp, basically, and then off in the opposite direction of you? Yeah. We'll make him, like, snarl or something, whatever a little pseudo-dragon would do. The, the equivalent of a roar of a pseudo-dragon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Flies through. Sure. So I, I got this. So uh, he exits the tent and takes flight, and he flies up right over the middle of this fire pit where where this ghoul and the other thing are sitting, um, and he lets out this uh, what you assume would be a deafening roar if he were any larger, but kind of just sounds like a, a cat hissing. Um, and the, the ghoul sees it and the other thing sees him and he takes off in the direction opposite of you. Uh, and less than a second later, you hear this thing barking orders at this ghoul, uh, in a language that you don't understand. Okay. And all of a sudden the ghoul just darts off after, uh, Carlos. Um, but the other creature remains there. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So, well, shoot. All right. Now, well, I guess now is the time. Um, does from what I see, from what I can see, does the armored creature, uh, is he is he just go back to normal, or is he looking off in that direction? Uh, he he's 
kind of on guard now. He's drawn his weapon and is standing. Um, he's not looking off in that direction. He's kind of looking in every direction. His head's on a swivel. All right. I guess I'm going to have to fight this thing. It's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I just have a feeling this thing's going to kick my ass if I just have a spear. Let's yeah, see. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Is there anything on the ground? There's some rock um, and a few really pathetic looking bushes, um, but other than that, <laughs> not really. I grab one of the bushes and I sneak like in Divinity. Um, I, I, I'm going to, what I'm going to try and do is grab one of these small, like if I can find a small rock, um, pay attention to when like him like looking around and I'm going to try and divert his attention with the rock by throwing it in a direction that he's not looking. Okay. So let's see. I would roll for that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's say that's going to be a dex check okay. on your part against a perception, perception check for him. All right. So that is a 17. 17. You're good. Ooh. He does uh he does not detect where the rock came from and his attention is drawn to where it landed. Uh he stiffens and faces that direction and does begin to slowly advance towards the sound. Um do I think that I would be able to sneak over to the tent? You can try. Um yeah, I guess uh, with his attention drawn, I'm going to attempt to sneak over to the back of the tent where I'd be out of his vision. Okay, give me another stealth check. With pleasure. That is also a 17. I wish that I had plus four. Your stealth uh, is successful. Um, you're able to get to the tent without drawing his attention. He has made it just about to where the rock landed. Okay. Um, so I'm on the back of the tent. Can I... Do, would I be able to lift up the back of the tent and get into it? Yeah. I, I mean, you can just push the flap aside and, and get oh, in. Oh, okay. I, I, okay, sweet. I got that far. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll enter the tent. And as stealthily and quickly as possible, I want to take everything in the sack. Sure, yeah, you can lift up the whole sack. Give me another stealth check for exiting with this sack. Uh, okay. Oh! That is a 16. Unfortunately, this time you've been had. <laughs> um, so he is roughly 100... Yeah, that's too far. He is uh, 50 feet from you currently. Uh, he made it to the source of the sound um, and immediately had determined that it was a diversion, turned around just in time to catch you exiting from his tent. He lets out a bloody cry and again, this language you don't understand, um, and lifts his sword and charges you. I'll need initiative for you both. 19. All right. And his is 18, so you will be first. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to actually 
dash. <laughs> dash in the direction towards the horse <laughs> and see what happens. Okay. <laughs> He's going to be dashing too, so we'll do this that he uh, he's staying equidistant from you. Um, uh, let's do this. So I'm going to say you your chase goes through successfully. He's, he's at a distance still following you. Um, but you're quite a ways from your horse. Um, so during this chase, um, basically we're going to say it's going to take 10 rounds uh, to get to your horse from where you're at. And I want an athletics check every round from both of you to see if either of you are not paying close enough attention to you, to what you're doing and trip on something. Okay. So potentially you could lose him or he could overtake you. Um, and actually, let's let's change that. I want a flat dex check for both of you um, with no mods. So not dex, or just a d20. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess we would have to do mods to make it dex. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. Go for it then. Uh, we'll just do it. Pound them out one after the other. I got a seven. Okay. And his first is a seventeen, so he will be twenty feet behind you after the first round. Uh, do I know how to? When I was testing my skills off the bat, were my racial skills also not working your racial traits are still working because specifically i had in mind that uh your warlock abilities were currently unusable okay that makes sense well so how far have we ran just like 60 feet um so one round you've both dashed so 60 feet each well you actually let's see you were looking back and tripped uh uh, didn't quite lose your footing, but you lost some ground, and he gained 30 feet on you. So you ran 30, he ran 60. Okay, I'm gonna actually turn and cast Ice Knife on him. Okay. Uh, roll for attack. Rolling for attack. 18. 18 is enough to hit. Uh, target on hit. Target takes 1d10 piercing damage. Hit or miss, the shard then explodes. The target and each creature within five feet uh, have to make a dexterity saving throw or take 2d6 cold damage. So I think he makes a dexterity, dexterity saving throw and he doesn't take the cold damage if he's if, successful. If he's successful. Okay. So against me. Dex save will be 13. 13, that will that will fail so he'll take the full roll okay roll damage um, 1d10 straight with that is an 8 that was a 5 and a 2 okay so 15 damages and I stand my ground Okay, uh, so you throw this ice knife at this creature, and it strikes him in the armor um, and detonates, and you see that uh, he kind of braces from the blow, 
and grits his his teeth at you and but charges um, and he will uh, take a swing at you um, so let's see so in this case I could actually have my spear and dagger out right uh, yeah you'd right, uh, remember that there was a dagger in the in the sack yeah sack um, nothing special to note about it if you're wondering um, okay so he's gonna close the distance between the two of you and take a swing at you with his sword his first swing will be a 14 so that will miss okay um, second swing is going to be a At 1917. All right, so that would tie. So does tie go to the tie goes to the attacker? Um. So then I use my feet and make my AC 19. What's the feat? Defensive duelist. Okay. It's not magic based, so I'll give it to you. Okay. Okay. So how long does that last for? It is when you are wielding a finesse weapon with which you are proficient. Are you proficient with spears? I'm proficient with daggers. Uh, all right. <laughs> Dagger was very important. Uh, and the creature hits you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to add proficiency bonus to your, actually that makes it 20, AC for that attack, potentially causing the attack to miss you. So like if he has two attacks, I can't use it twice it's just once, so if most people are attacking me, but I mean, I can use it whenever I choose, but like one time per turn, I imagine. Okay. Yeah, that seems super OP. Damn. It's in the PHP. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe you, I'm just saying. Um, okay, yeah, so his strike will miss, um, and it's your turn. Alright, I'm gonna attack him with my dagger. Now we get to play this chestnut. <laughs> so that is a... I can't use my warlock ability, so that is only 13. 13 misses. Alright, then I'm attacking with spear. 19. Hits. Yes, d6 time, baby. That, and... What does a spear use when... That strength? Yeah, that would be strength. Okay. Um, um, but it's offhand, right? So it wouldn't... Oh, it's, oh yeah, I wouldn't add anything. So it's only three damage. Ooh. And turn. <laughs> That's all I can do. <laughs> Alright. Um, Poke him with a pillar and kill him. He will, again, turn his longsword on you and take a slice. Uh, his first attack will miss... His second attack will also miss. Whoopee! You're lucky that uh, I'm the DM here. I'm also lucky that you didn't take away my armor. Uh-huh. <laughs> Alright. Uh, rinse and repeat here. Uh, D20 coming his way. Let's do a dagger. So that is a 17. Hits. Yes. D4, baby. Three damage. Okay. Spear time. Nat 20. <laughs> well, that hits. 
seven damage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he will retaliate, swing his sword at you again. Uh, his first strike will miss. His second strike will be 20 if that hits. Uh, so that will match my AC. Okay, so this will hit. Um, so I need you to roll a constitution save. Great. Great. I love where this is going. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a decent modifier. That is an unnatural 20. Okay, um, save will be success. Let's Does anything see. happen? <laughs> uh, I gotta read. So, target must succeed on a DC 13 constitution saving throw or its hit point maximum is reduced by an amount <laughs> equal to the damage taken. Uh, the reduction lasts until the target finishes a long rest. The target dies if the effect reduces its hit point maximum to zero. A humanoid slain by this attack rises 24 hours later as a zombie under the thing's control. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I guess you don't do that, you just take the damage from the hit, which will be momentarily. You take eight damage. Ah, it's already out damaged me. <laughs> uh, at least in a single turn. Okay. Alright, and it ends its turn. Alright, and now I'm super pissed, and I caught a glint of magic in that strike, so I was scared. Gonna attack it. Ready or not, here I 13. <laughs> uh, 13's not enough. Ready or not, here I 12. 12 is likewise not enough. <laughs> okay. <sighs> um, he'll rinse repeat. Same as before. Um, this attack will hit you. Alright, so I will make it 20. Uh, it was a nat 20. Oh, great. So it's hitting me regardless. Um, give me the constitution save. Natural 20. I become immune to all of his magic. <laughs> Apparently. All right, you'll still take 11 damage. Um, and he will attack again. Yeah, no, I can't block it either. Uh, and second attack will miss. Oh, thank God. I assume it's a 15 and you're at 17 nat naturally, right? Yep. Okay. Um, your turn. Alright. Very embarrassed by my misses. That one will be a 17. 17 uh, hits. 5 damage. Alright. <laughs> so, 5. No, he's not dead. Does he look like he's dead? Um... He doesn't look any more dead than he did when you saw him, um, considering still, still that dead. he's already dead. Alright. He can't get much deader. Spear time. That will be 18. 18 strikes. Two damage. Alright. And that is my turn. Okay, uh, he will strike you again with his long sword. We'll attempt to. I was going to say, did you already do it? <laughs> no, uh, first attack uh, is 7. I assume that is miss. Yes. Second attack is a 22. So that will hit. It will hit. 
And yep, give me constitution. That will be 15. 15 is enough to save, but you still take two damage. Yes! Sorry, um, four damage. No! That's the uh, end of his turn. That was two, right? Yep. Okay, it's yep, end of his turn. Gonna roll off. Who can stay standing? Unnatural 20. Unnatural 20 will hit. Six damage. Okay. He is not down. The 16. 16 hits. Ooh. Six damage. So you take this spear um, and you drive it through his armor and it finds a, a, a way through and plunges into his chest. Um, and as you pull it out, um, kind of like what you had seen the devils doing on the bridges before, the the spear comes out, but not only the spear, but the soul that had been encapsulated within this thing's body uh, is pulled from it as you withdraw the spear. Um, and as it disconnects from the body entirely, he crumples to the ground, um, defeated, and you see this the soul not having anywhere in particular to go kind of blinks up into the sky and you see it make its way towards the ocean that you had seen before. That's awesome. Uh, you have defeated this creature. Yeah. I am going to take its long sword. Uh, sure, you can. The, uh, you don't see anything particularly notable about it. It's a fairly standard longsword, um, slightly ornate at the hilt, um, kind of a, a bone aesthetic to it. Okay, I'll take that for now. Um, I'm going to make my way back to the horse. Okay. Quickly, sprinting style. Sure, you can do that. Uh, do I make it back? Yep, you make it back successfully. Okay, awesome. Um, so at this point, I'm going to look for something on the ground. I want to see if I can find a, a couple rocks. Yeah, you, you can piece together a few from the tundra below you. All right, I'm going to take this crystal and put it on top of one rock and try and smash it with another rock. Okay. Uh, give me a strength check. No problem. <laughs> Nine. Uh, you bring this rock uh, in two hands down on this crystal and um, it does not break. Hmm. All right. Then I'm going to take the longsword and try and break it. Okay. Um, just give me an attack. Attack roll! This one is a 21. That will hit, obviously. Give me a, a damage roll. Okay. So D8. Or D10, because two hands. So D10. Nine total. Okay, so you bring this sword down right on the middle of the 
crystal and you see at first the sword chips into it and then what seems like a second later you see it kind of go in further and then this crystal begins to crack and you see cracks spider webbing its way across the whole thing and it explodes with this brilliant white light and it throws you back on the ground behind you um you don't take any damage but it was it was quite startling i'm so startled um all right i dust myself off i then hop on the shadow horse and um take off and yeah i take off all right I, I leave, I, and then as I'm uh, flying, as I'm riding, I attempt to resummon Carlos. <laughs> okay, uh, your attempt is successful. Nice. So, uh, rummaging through the the pack you have with you, in addition to the crystal and the dagger that you found, uh, I had mentioned there were a couple vials in there. Um, those you would recognize as two health potions. <gasps> I love those. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'll write that down. Do with them as you please. Um, so basically, from here, uh, you'll just be riding back up to the town. Um, I assume. Yeah. Okay. You'll make it back successfully after two days' ride with little interference. Um, again, on your way, you see pretty much what you saw before: a few random spirits and devils here and there. Um, Nobody that seems particularly interested in talking with you. Awesome. I just ride through, ignore the shit out of them. Yep. Uh, you make your way back to the town, um, and uh, upon your arrival, you will see Vorkesis, um is still manning his, uh, his post, um, occasionally barking orders at these devils that are fishing for souls. Okay. I ride up to him proudly, and I'm like... It is done. He'll look up at you and say, Well, I didn't expect to see you back so soon. There certainly must be a reason that the Raven Queen summoned you here. Uh, I take it the crystal has been destroyed. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, I trust that you didn't meet with too much resistance? Um, no. No, it was, it was easy. <laughs> uh... If you wouldn't mind, please give us a brief report on what you did find. Found a an undead clad in armor um, and a ghoul. And I was able to distract the ghoul away and defeat this undead creature. I was wielding this and I'll gesture towards the sword. Um, and then I took the sword and I plunged it into that uh, that crystal. Easy peasy. Excellent. Um, is the ghoul still wandering? I would assume so. Hmm. Well, over time, his his power will wane, and he will eventually lose what semblance of life he has left. So, no big there. Um, I do believe that uh, we had made an arrangement, and at that he will draw his spear and um, scratch in the ground uh, a glyph, and 
utter uh, some words in incantation that you don't recognize. Um, and the, the glyph that he drew in the ground suddenly begins to glow brilliant blue light and then it kind of seems to pull from the earth itself and, and solidifies and floats up into his hand. Um, and it stops glowing and just appears as, as a rock and he hands it to you and says, um, take this to the teleportation circle below the tower, place it in the center and you will be granted access to the queen's tower. Thank you. I bid you farewell for now. Uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again once your time has ended. <laughs> And as I... Do I get to keep the horse? Uh, he'll, uh, he'll say, certainly, you, uh, you may take it um, with you to the tower. It will find its way back. Awesome. I'm going to ride off and think to myself, my time will never come. And, uh, <laughs> nope. So you'll be able to make it uh, after about a day's ride to the bottom of this tower. So as I had mentioned before, uh, at, as you get closer and closer, this becomes even more evident. The tower um, has been ripped directly from the ground itself as though some giant being had, had just pulled it right out of the ground. So beneath where the tower floats in the sky, um, there is this pit where the ground had been. Um, and looking to the center of it, you do see that there is a circle on the ground that is glowing. Uh, it's about 50 feet or so down to the center of this pit. Um, and it, it doesn't look like too challenging of a climb. You can do it without making any checks. All right. Yeah. Let, let get off the horse and let's make the climb all right um so you dismount and you send the horse on its merry way um you make your way down into this pit and reach the the circle um once you get there uh you you see that this glyph has again begun to glow um and you see in the center of the circle that there is a spot that you can and place a shape exactly like the shape of the glyph. Awesome. I'm going to tell Carlos to stay close to me, and I'm going to go put that sucker in. All right. Uh, you do so, and as you do, the teleportation circle glows in even brighter blue, and you see kind of like this dust beginning to swirl around the outside and there's a bright flash and suddenly you find yourself inside this giant throne room um, that's roughly 50 feet in diameter uh, with great vaulted walls made of obsidian and this giant throne on one side that's been chiseled out of the wall and if you look down below you, uh, you'll see that the floor appears to be moving uh, below you. It, it's not really anything that you would recognize consciously, but uh, as your life goes on and you gain more and more wisdom, you, you might come to realize that it, it's kind of a map of the ever-shifting planes of existence revolving in and around each other. Cool. Atop the throne, 
you'll see that a familiar figure is seated um, and upon seeing you she will say welcome Almalexia Safridge I trust you've learned a great deal about what it is my domain and my power represents it is in natural course that all lives have a beginning and an end to strip them of that end is to strip me of my duties she'll stand up and say um the agents of Orcus are always attempting to gain access to my domain, for it is my domain and myself which he wishes to overthrow for himself to become the god of death. I cannot allow that to happen, and my followers cannot allow that to happen. She'll pause and stand and reach out a hand to you and say, I relinquish to you the dagger that you have claimed, the Black Razor. Use it to further the purpose for which it was crafted, to help souls find their final resting place. And with it, stamp out the agents and worship worshippers of Orcus wherever you might find them. With a wave of her hand, um, you feel a familiar dagger hilt in yours. Um, she will finish and say, I trust I won't have need to summon you back to my domain until your own time has come. Now, be gone. And she'll snap her fingers. And you find yourself back in the nothingness that had gripped your soul for so long. Um, time is once again lost to you, and you drift aimlessly through the blackness, unaware of any happenings beyond your own mind. Um, suddenly, it comes to an end, and you wake up and look around you and find yourself in a bed with unfamiliar surroundings. You see that there are needles in your arms with tubes going up to machines that you don't recognize. And looking around, you see that your companions are with you in similar states. Um, end scene. Awesome. Hello, this is Tyler, voice of your favorite warlock, Luna. I'm going to shed some light here on a bit of Luna's past to help you, the listener, understand what's going on with the character. To fully understand what Luna's going through, especially in this solo session, we have to start at the beginning. Up until now, she didn't actually know she was a warlock. She grew up with experience in magic as an ice genocide can cast certain spells natively, but the idea that she's a warlock is something that she hasn't even considered until this episode. The story of Luna isn't the most glamorous, as you might expect. We know that Luna is from the island of Ice Peak and that she acts like she's full of class, but that's really where what we've divulged ends. She was born into nobility on the island of Ice Peak to a family of ice genocide. Her father was the headmaster of the Saffridge College of Magic. Luna herself was to become a wizard, and although the books were not for Luna, life came pretty easy for her. The easy life of a nobleman's daughter would come to an abrupt end, sadly, when both her parents were murdered, a crime that would remain unsolved. Both her care and the care of the school went under an elf, a family friend and fellow instructor. Luna never liked her guardian, and over time grew suspicious that he himself was responsible for the murders of her family. He did stand the most to gain. At a turning point in her life, she found a dagger hidden in the basement of the college itself. She appeared to be almost magically drawn to it, a black scabbard decorated with pieces of cut obsidian. Once unsheathed, she was mesmerized. 
The blade itself is forged of an unknown black alloy, and when she stared into it, the dagger began to shine like a piece of the night sky filled with stars. At once, she decided that she needed to take this. This was hers, and she couldn't risk anyone finding out about it. She took what gold she could grab with her to a fisherman's village on the coast, where she bought passage off the island from a dwarf that we have come to know as Gundren. Once at sea, they were beset upon by pirates. This is where Luna used the dagger for the first time. She caught one of them off guard and managed to end his life. Horrified by what she had done, there was something more. A whisper that seemed to calm her while surrounded by madness. She looked at the blade and was once again enthralled by its beauty. As the blood that covered the blade was again replaced by the night sky, she was reminded how precious it was. While in this comatose state, another pirate sought to take revenge for his fallen friend, and it was none other than Gundren who saved her life. From that point on, she knew she owed him. Eventually, the ship made it to its destination of Skullport. Gundren pleaded with Luna to come with them, but in her foolishness, she declined. She would stay in this new world. She spent many years in Skullport where she learned how to stay alive on the streets, killed when she needed, and started practicing magical spells that she had never been taught before. There is no explanation for her abilities, so they must be coming from her. The Underdark is no place to be alone, and when she eventually found an opportunity, she fled from that terrible place. She made her way to the surface and lived her life one day at a time, finding work when she could, stealing, killing when it was necessary. She went from a nobleman's daughter to a child begging and fighting for her life. She experienced the best and the worst things life had to offer, all the while keeping her prized possession to herself. And that's what brings us to the start of our adventure here. Although she had experienced a traumatic childhood, she doesn't typically let it drag her down. She always seemed well-liked, and with her powers growing, things were still coming easy. And that is part of the reason why Hoyt and Luna clash so much. She simply doesn't understand why he acts the way he does towards her. He is a mystery. She enjoys Shadow's company, and he is easygoing and inquisitive. She finds him very interesting. Because she's older than the other two, she feels the need to make the tough choices for them, because hesitation could mean the difference between life and death, something the others don't seem to understand. Although she was never officially trained in the arts of combat, her years spent in the Underdark were a crash course on how to kill an enemy. With her Hexblade Warlock magic, she's able to enhance her abilities in a fight. What this technically means is that she can add her spellcasting ability modifier instead of her strength or dexterity when using a blade. This allows her to strike with deadly precision and strength that she has not earned through extensive training. And that brings us back to our solo session and why it's so important for her character growth. She just learned that she is a warlock. She gains her spells from a patron rather than her own power or through studies like a sorcerer or a wizard might. She has discovered that killing with the dagger is what makes her stronger. This will continue to evolve her character as she comes to terms with what she believes is important. And with all the custom content coming out soon, it's going to be a very fun role-playing experience. Enjoy! Thank you for listening to The Usual Time, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition podcast. We'll be back next week with our third installment of our solo missions, featuring Hoyt. That'll be presented in two parts, released on Tuesday and Thursday. For all of our episodes, visit us on theusualtimednd.com and on iTunes.
We can also be found on Twitter and Reddit, searching the handle The Usual Time D&D. Today's episode features the song Savor by Poddington Bear, To Breathe One's Last by Roger Subarana, and Dark Fate of Atlantis by Pablo Simonta. We'll see you next time on The Usual Time. <laughs>